You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Today, I'm honored to welcome in special guest, Sarah Jane. Sarah is the founder of Mere Objects, a participatory art project designed to honor and empower people who have experienced sexual violence and to increase awareness of sexual violence within our communities. It was launched in October 2016. The project is open to individuals of all genders who have experienced any form of sexual violence. There is no deadline and participation is anonymous. And you can find out more information about Mere Objects on mereobjects.org. Sarah is also a survivor and we talk on the podcast about her experience in an abusive relationship, what it was like to try and find help and support within her church and how she began to find her way out of that relationship and into a world of healing, which led to mere objects. This is such an incredible podcast. Sarah Jane shares so much information, and you'll want to definitely stick around to the very end, as she has some incredible words of encouragement and a light bulb moment that came to her during our chat. And so without further delay, let's join my chat with Sarah Jane. So hey, Sarah Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. I've been really looking forward to this. I have as well. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm excited to learn more about your story. Why don't we start out a little bit and you can kind of give us a little bit of background on your history. Um, You had mentioned to me before about being in a history of uh, an abusive relationship that included experiences like sexual violence and financial abuse and gaslighting and all kinds of things. So the floor is yours. The mic is yours. Share uh, as much as you feel comfortable with and we'd love to hear from it. Yeah, so um as a as a young woman right out of college, I was in a relationship, um kind of my first serious relationship. And so I don't think I had a lot of experience or much to compare that to. Um and I I found myself in a situation that looking back I can recognize was really unhealthy, but at the time I I didn't really have the context to understand that. Um, and so I, I spent seven years in that relationship that, as you said, it involved um, a lot of different kinds of abuse. Um, the only physical abuse that I experienced there was, um, was sexual violence. Um, I was raped and assaulted on a pretty regular basis. Um, but there were lots of other kinds of abuse, um, emotional abuse, name calling, um, kind of constant criticism. Um, it seemed like there was sort of an ever changing set of standards that I could never quite figure out or live up to. Um, my ex controlled all of our finances. And so, I would occasionally, you know, go to the store to buy something and my debit card would have just stopped working because our accounts would be overdrawn, but I didn't have any way to 
know whether our accounts were overdrawn or not. There was a while where I was not allowed to have a library card. Um, I was denied access to medical care at points. Um, there were points like where my car broke down and he wouldn't come get me. Um, so just all kinds of things that I can look back on and recognize were, you know, scary and dangerous and incredibly unhealthy. Um, but they sort of happened, like they seemed really normal at the time. Um, and I think that they they kind of happened progressively in a way that I didn't recognize what was happening. And so, um, and then in between there would be good times and our friends and family were like, oh, you guys are just the perfect couple and we admire you so much and we look up to you and we love what you're doing with your lives and we love the way you relate to each other. And so we were getting this like really positive, affirmation from the outside that really made me second guess the way that I was feeling um, even as I was experiencing all of this kind of horrible stuff inside that relationship Um, and then just made it really hard for me to recognize how dysfunctional everything was that I was living with. You know I just want to acknowledge your courage and your bravery for sharing your story here and just doing so much amazing work on behalf of survivors. I just, your story is just so unfortunately familiar. So often um, I talk to survivors who have been in similar relationships and it just, it breaks my heart, but I know that, you know, you, you coming on the show today and doing all the amazing work, which we'll get into really just offers so much hope for those who are maybe in a position where, you um, were, maybe they're in that position right now. So I'm just, I'm glad that you're here sharing and I'm, I'm grateful for the story that you're telling us here about your experiences. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me when, when you were talking was when you were in the middle of this relationship and, and you mentioned how it felt normal at the time and there were some good times and whatnot, did it, did all of these um, traumatic experiences like seem normal in the beginning or was it something that you really wanted to get out of but then you you just kind of got used to or how did that work if you don't mind sharing that part of it yeah um I mean I think the the early stages of that relationship we got together after I had gone through a breakup and I was in kind of a fragile space and so um having somebody kind of come along and sweep me off my feet and be really kind was it felt like exactly what I needed. Um, And I didn't necessarily recognize how much there was like a, an imbalance of power in that relationship. Um, And then as things started to happen that maybe didn't feel so good to me, um, I remember one of our first really scary fights that we had, and I actually don't remember what the fight was about, Um, But we were at my parents' house and I remember he got incredibly angry with me because he thought that I was trying to manipulate him about something. And I was really confused because I wasn't. Um, And so he was like accusing me of something that I I just wasn't doing. Um, And I remember sitting on the stairs and just feeling awful because I felt really bad that I had hurt this person I cared about and that it felt awful that he could even think that I would manipulate him. Um, And I just wanted to do everything that I could to try to prove that that wasn't 
where I was coming from and that um, that I hadn't done that. And, and of course, I look back now and I think I wasn't manipulating him. He was manipulating me. But, but it would take me so long to be able to recognize that. I mean, years and years to be able to see that that was like one of the first real red flags um, about what would eventually become really scary. So there were points where um, I would get I would get upset or something would happen that would really, um, really freak me out. Um, I remember a point where he got really angry with me because the tablecloth was dirty and he, he tore the tablecloth off the table and he threw it on the floor and he yelled at me. And, um, I just, I, I felt like he was deliberately being cruel to me. And that really struck me that, um, that somebody who said he loved me could do something that seemed like it was sort of calculated to, to hurt me. And I remember I got in my car that night and I left for a while and I went out to an old cemetery and I sat in the cemetery and I cried and just was alone and kind of processed what had happened. But I came back and after I came back, he was really sweet to me and he was sweet for probably a couple of weeks after that. And it sort of felt like, Oh, maybe that was a one-off event. Maybe, you know, he realized that he really screwed up and this won't happen again. Um, And it wasn't until the very end of our relationship when I went back and I read my journals and I realized how many times over and over and over we had gone through that pattern of him overstepping and me sort of freaking out and then him kind of coming back with all that sweetness. And I realized he's never going to change. This is not a one-off thing. It's a pattern. Um, and of course, that's what abusive relationships look like. Um, but it's really hard to recognize when you're in the middle of it. Oh, isn't it, though? I mean, when you are right in the middle of of a relationship, when you have feelings for somebody and, you know, even though some things happen, like you mentioned, a bad fight happens and then they come back and everything's nice and good for a while and then something happens again and you find yourself, you know, just sitting there justifying things more and more than you ever realized that you, you know, would normally do. And then looking back, you're like, you see all these red flags, as you mentioned, and you're like, how did I miss these in in, in the middle of this relationship? But the fact is, is that so oftentimes you don't see them. And then as you mentioned that, you know, you have family and friends who are saying, oh, what a great couple you are and how everything perfect is. Then you've got this conflicting messages coming through you know, because your mind's telling you something's not right here. Your heart's telling you something's not right here, but your friends, your family, they're like, oh, everything's so great. And then, you know, you've got just this back and forth battle in your head. So I can see where it was, where it had to be just so stressful and so confusing. And, you know, I I was in similar situations like that before. And in the heat of the moment there, you know, there were people that did tell me, to, you know, get out of this relationship. It wasn't healthy. Things were happening, but I couldn't see it. I would deny them. I would defend the other person till like the end of time. And it wasn't until later, years later that I realized they were right. So did you have anybody now you mentioned that family and friends were kind of, you know, telling you how great everything was from their side, but was there anybody who maybe saw what was going on that was, you know, trying to tell you anything or maybe on your side as like a confidant or anything? Not really until the very end. Um, I would say probably the last year or two after I had started to share more openly with some of my friends, there were a couple of people that really encouraged me to get help, 
Um, and at first they were just encouraging me to get counseling, but then, um, as sort of more things came to light, they did eventually encourage me to get out. Um, but it was most of our relationship, everybody around us really seemed to put us up on a pedestal and see us as a perfect couple. Um, and what came of that, I, I was struck by what you said about that sort of internal feeling of, oh my gosh, this is so awful and something is really wrong. And then, you know, the external affirmation of, oh, you guys are such a great couple. Um, How I processed that was I thought, well, there must just be something terribly wrong with me. You know, I, I must be a terrible person. How could I be so unhappy and so unhinged and so, so miserable when, you know, everyone is telling me that I have the perfect relationship and the perfect partner and that my life is going so well. And so I really internalized a lot of that on myself. And I, I still struggle with an enormous amount of shame from just feeling like there is something, there is something deeply wrong with me that must be causing all of this to happen because obviously everything around me is perfect and it's just my problem internally. Man, the shame comes hard and fast, doesn't it? I know exactly what you're saying. Um, you're, you're sitting here blaming yourself and you're like, why am I seeing so many bad things? Why can I not embrace this? What is wrong with me? And you, it just, I mean, not only are you struggling with the inner emotions of something's wrong here, you know, versus all the outside, um, you know, positive views and things that you're getting, but now you're just like adding to the, this other dimension of, of beating yourself self up, trying to figure out why you can't see what everybody else sees. I mean, the shame is just, I mean, that takes it to a whole nother level of just trauma because it just, it makes you feel you're constantly overthinking and analyzing everything as it is. And now you add in this and shame is just so debilitating. So when you said about the shame and the internalizing, I was shaking my head so much. And I'm like, I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, yeah. I mean, this next question that I want to ask you um, is something that I have struggled with immensely and I still struggle with. And, um, you know, I, you had mentioned about how the church was pressuring you to to stay together and you know, marriage is hard and you have to tough it out and wives submit to your husbands and, you know, stick it out and all this kind of stuff and divorce is wrong. And I struggled with this, too, for quite a long time. And to be honest, I still have some issues with it. But maybe talk a little bit about the pressures of um, the church family where you attended or, you know, people who knew you from from going to church and how that really just added another yet dimension to this uh, problem. Yeah, it uh, I mean, I, I struggle with it, too. My faith is really important to me. And I I mean, I think I'm kind of a, a good girl. Um, maybe not as much anymore as I used to be, but, uh, but I really, I wanted to honor that. And I was part of a church that taught that there was no divorce except in cases of adultery. Um, as far as I know, my ex was never unfaithful to me. Um, and so it really felt like there was no way out for me. Um, and I, but I also felt like the church was the place that you reach out to for help when you're in trouble. And so, um, on, 
more than one occasion, I reached out to pastors for help. Um, I was referred to Christian counselors. The first counselor that I went to see after listening to me recount an episode that other people have had no problem identifying as abuse and rape. Um, she listened to me and came away and said, you know, I, I don't really want to diagnose you with a mental illness today. Um, but the way she said it made it really clear that she thought she could. Um, but she said, you know, I think that you just need to, to think more positively about your marriage and your husband. And I think that if you, um, if you can, you know, let go of some of these negative thoughts that you will find that things improve for you. Um, and I, I knew. Wow, really? I knew, like seriously? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That is, that is a thing that I have been told by a licensed counselor. Uh, think more positively and that makes it all better. Holy crap. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't say that I've never heard that, but each time I do, I just shake my head like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, she's still practicing and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can report her. Um, because it really concerns me that someone who thinks that way is still out there attempting to counsel people. Um, so, so I did, I did have enough sense and wherewithal at that point to think, okay, this is not the counselor for me. Um, and so I, I got another referral and I went to see somebody else. And the second counselor that I saw was more helpful. Um, she was the one who eventually helped me name what was happening and get a little bit more clarity. But then she immediately jumped into, well, if you still love him, then we should try to save this relationship. And when I look back on that, I think it takes two people to save a relationship. And there was only one person in my relationship that wanted to save it. And so I don't, I don't know that her guidance was especially helpful to me either. I actually think that if I had not gotten that counsel, I probably would have gotten out sooner um, and I would have been safer. Um, and so I, I question how responsible that was. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's hard to figure out how you counsel somebody who's in that situation. But I will say I have never heard preached from the altar that abuse in marriage is wrong. Um, I have heard an extraordinary number of sermons that talk about premarital sex and adultery. Um, and I've never heard a sermon about abuse or rape or consent. Um, and I know from talking to other people in the church and from the work that I'm doing now that that's stuff that affects enormous numbers of people. Um, and so I just think that the church has a really long way to go towards ministering to people in a more responsible way. I could not agree more with you. And, you know, I'm sitting here shaking my head and, you know, I'm not sure which, which counsel you got is worse. I mean, I guess the first person was, but yeah, I mean, when somebody says, well, we, we should try and save it if you love him. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that the other question was, or, you know, I know that there wasn't more conversation brought into, does he want to save it? You know, is this a healthy relationship? Is there, is this something that you should really, you know, 
you know, uh, see yourself staying and is it worth saving? Can it be saved? Not just, well, if you love him, let's, let's work on it. I mean, that puts all the onus on you. Like everything's your fault. So, I mean, no wonder Mm -hmm. it was like this gigantic struggle of, you know, I had somebody before who gave me all kinds of bad advice of just think positively. And now I've got somebody who's telling me to try and save something when they have no idea what's going on. Or if they do, they clearly didn't hear what I said about everything that's going on. So, I mean, I just, the struggle just had to be incredible. And I feel, I feel your pain when I'm sitting here and just shaking my head going, my God, I mean, what a struggle to try and work through all this. It was, it was definitely hard. And I, I feel like it was kind of amazing that I came to a place where I was able to leave because I didn't have a lot of resources around me at the point that I had to make that decision. Um, Like that was a really, really fragile point in my life. And I'm really grateful that I did it and I'm grateful that I made my way through it. But when I look back, there's kind of a, a six or eight month window there where I'm sort of astonished that I survived. I'm so definitely glad that you made it through that experience. And I know like my faith is important to me as well. And I struggle a lot with the advice that the church gives. And to me, it contradicts the Bible in a lot of ways. So I don't want to get into a deep um, discussion here about it, but you know, I just think that I can feel your struggle in it because when I got divorced, um, the church that I was going to at the time, they, they kind of gave me a lot of that same advice, although it wasn't from a counselor, it was everybody in the church because my parents mm-hmm. had been going there forever. And so they had told people, you know, pray for Matt and, you know, he's going through a lot. And of course they told way too much, you know, way more than what they should have. And so I got people coming up to me and it was kind of this like, like, backhanded kind of like support compliment kind of thing, you know, almost like an ulterior motive where, you know, I feel for you, you'll, you'll make it through, but just make sure that you don't do this or make sure that you stop doing that. And of course I had earrings and I had tattoos and now, you know, so now I'm just getting judged all over the place. Like, well, you know, you're going through some stuff here that, you know, God doesn't really appreciate and you shouldn't get tattoos and the earrings are not good and you shouldn't go to that bar. So while I'm supposed to be in a church, which is supposed to support me, I've got all these people telling me how bad I'm doing. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I just went through hell and back. I'm still trying to recover from being divorced. I'm now a single parent. And yet you're going to judge me because of the way I look like, I mean, that just takes us down to a whole new level. But I just, you know, when you were thinking, when you were telling me about the counselors and, and, and the advice they were giving you, I was thinking, man, I got some just really bad advice from some people in the church too. And I'm not even sure that I would consider it advice to be honest with you. Yeah. I think sometimes people, I don't know if they don't know what to say or they've just never been through anything like that. And so they open their mouths without thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't want to believe that that many people are that ill-intentioned. Um, but man, there's some really hurtful stuff that people say. And there is, you, yeah, you, yeah. And I mean, I mean, I mean, it it is very possible that they had good intentions, but you're right. Sometimes you you don't know what to say, or sometimes you're just you know talking and and you're not realizing what you're saying, and you know whatever. But the case, you know, but I eventually ended up leaving that church because it just got to the point where it was every week, and you know I had found a new church which you know worked out much better. But um, yeah, it it was a struggle, and it gives me pause whenever I think about it now. Still, of you know 
the church needs to be a place where if you go there, it's a place of acceptance and love and compassion, not judgment, because nobody has the right to judge but God. But I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's something that, you know, we definitely needed to talk about a little bit because it's something that a lot of people struggle with. And, um, you know, I think we can all do our part to help educate the church and bring about more support for those who struggle in abusive relationships or going through other trauma. So um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was how your friends and family kind of came together, you know, after you left this relationship and now you're, you've left it and now you've got some people on your side who are, who who are coming together to help you out. So talk a little bit about the support system that kind of came about once you left that uh, relationship. Yeah. Um, I was really, I guess, blessed. I would say, um, I had a handful of friends. I wasn't living close to any family at the time. And so really it was my friends that, um, kind of came around me and sort of scooped me up in that really vulnerable time. Um, I had one friend that um, her roommate had moved out a few months earlier. And so she said, oh, you should move in with me. And I did. Um, and I had a couple other friends that were really deliberate about inviting me over for coffee or making sure that they were kind of constantly present with me. Um, and it's interesting, you were talking about the people that you know, aren't able to be supportive or say really unhelpful things. I had a couple of people that um, I knew that are fairly conservative and I thought, oh my gosh, like, what are these people going to say? I I was just sort of bracing for their judgment. And there were a handful of people that really surprised me in how incredibly gracious and compassionate and kind they were. And so it was interesting to sort of see the contrast between some people who had a really hard time with it and other people who were just incredibly present and generous and um, supportive in that time. Um, but I think there were like really, really simple things that people did. My roommate uh, would just come home and she would see that like I'd had a rough day and I was, you know, sort of just barely scraping by and she would be like, all right, I am going to order us a pizza. I'm going to put on a dumb movie. I'm going to put you on the couch with a dog and a blanket. <laughs> and she would just sort of like, um, like surround me with comfort. I and, love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Just like make sure I had all of, all of these like comforting things. And so, um, our house together became this like really lovely nest of, of comfort and safety. Um, and that was really nice. And other people seemed like they, they were able to like share the, the various gifts that they had, you know, whether that was inviting me into their home or taking me out for coffee or whatever, but it, it did seem like there was sort of a loving community that kind of swooped in for me when I really needed it. Um, and I absolutely believe that those people got me through the hardest part of that for sure. That's so awesome. And I, I think it's a great reminder um, for those who are supporting someone who's been in a, a traumatic situation. Um, you know, it's not always about knowing the right things to say so much as just do the little things. Like you said, create a place of calm and of peace and of no judgment, you know, create an atmosphere of love and compassion, ordering pizzas, sitting with the dog, sitting on the couch, just doing nice little things like that goes such a long, long way. And I think that's, you know, a lot of times we struggle with, well, you know, I'm not really sure what I should say or how I should act. So then like we end up doing nothing half the time. So mm -hmm. just doing something simple and something you said was so key of just use your gifts. 
um, you know, you know, if your gift is like baking and cooking, then, you know, bring over some food for somebody. If your gift is like making arts and crafts or painting or, you know, quilting or knitting or whatever the heck it is that you do, do something like that for somebody who's struggling because the fact that you're putting time and effort and using your talents um, to really help somebody get through a tough time, like that's, that's, that means more than any, uh, you know, uh, poetic words that you can come up with or trying to say just the right thing, just be yourself, use your gifts that you have to help somebody through. So I'm, I'm sure that was just so helpful for you in ways that, I mean, I can't even imagine right now because so many just don't have that kind of support. So I'm glad that you had it. And as you mentioned, they were instrumental in getting you through that tough time. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think, um, I think just show up, you know, there, there are people that I think get intimidated when someone is feeling bad or having a hard time and, and just kind of, you know, it's like there, I think are friends that will ghost you when you're going through a hard time and just show up. And if you don't know what to say, say, you don't, I'm sorry. I I don't really know what to say right now. Um, Most people are not offended by that, but, but being present really goes a long way. Yep. It certainly does. And you're right. It's not always about what you say. It's just the fact that you're there supporting someone, being a listening ear, sitting with them and comforting them. And just being a, a support system. And so absolutely, I, I could not agree more. Um, I want to talk about your artwork because this is something that the healing from this traumatic experience gave birth to an incredible art project and um, way for you to really express yourself in a new way. So I want to talk about, is it is it Mirror Objects? Is that right? Yes, it is. Okay. So tell us more about how Mirror Objects was born. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I have been an artist my whole adult life. That's my training and my calling. And for quite a few years after I got out of this relationship, I've been really open about being a rape survivor. Um, I remember the people who talked openly about that while I was still not able to talk about what was going on in my life. Um, And I remember how helpful it was for me to have like other people that kind of normalized that experience. Um, And so I've, I've talked about it openly, but I hadn't really made art about it. And occasionally people would kind of needle me and be like, so when is this going to show up in your art? Like, that's what you do. Um, And I would say, well, I don't know, you know, I don't really have an idea or whatever. And, So one day, um, I guess this has been about 18 months ago, it was in October of 2016, I was driving into town and I was not thinking about sexual violence. I was not thinking about art. I was minding my own business. And just like out of the clear blue sky, I had the most powerful sense of it's time for you to make something for the other people who share this experience. It wasn't really about me or my experience as much as it was about this community of other people who share that. Um, And so I'm not in the habit of having those kinds of inspiration strikes. So I feel like when they happen, I should probably grasp hold of them. (laughs) Um, And so I, by the time I made it into town, I had decided, well, all right, I guess I'm doing this thing. And by the time, by the end of that day, I had started gathering the advisory circle of people who um, sort of helped to shape the project. Um, I knew right away that I didn't want my own 
story or experience to be the centerpiece. I wanted it to be um, really inclusive so that other people could find themselves and their stories in it. So what that became um, is an ongoing participatory artwork. It's open to anyone who has experienced any form of sexual violence. And what I ask is for participants to send me a little tiny object or objects that represent something about themselves, their experience, their story, their healing process. Um, it's pretty open-ended. Um, but I take those objects, I place them in little tiny um, spherical glass bottles, and those get uh, suspended from the gallery ceiling. So there's kind of a big um, cloud of them that hang together in the middle of the gallery. There are about 85 participants right now. Um, and for each participant, I take a photograph of their individual bottle. I write a little description of whatever I know about that person, their story, the symbolism of their objects. Um, and that varies. People participate anonymously. And so some people tell me a lot. Some people tell me very little. And then I write a personalized blessing for each one. And so the photograph of the object and the text, um, there's a book that's in the gallery that has all of those. Um, and then all of that information is also posted online. So um, lots of people follow it on social media or check that out on the website. And all of that information is also available online. Um, so it's been exhibited three different times, uh, twice here in Washington State where I live, and just finished up an exhibition in Grand Rapids, Michigan this last week. Um, and yeah, it's just been amazing to see the way that people engage with it. And um, I've had the opportunity to meet so many incredible people and hear really powerful stories and just engage with people's healing and resilience. And I mean, there's a lot of pain there, but there's also a lot of hope. Um, so it's taken me some places that I certainly could not have anticipated that day as I was driving into town and had that first spark of inspiration. Um, but it's been a pretty, a pretty incredible process for me so far. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I'm on your uh, website now, which is mereobjects.org. And I'll be sure and put that in the show notes uh, mm. and in the blog post. But I'm checking out some of the pictures here. And I can see what you mean about um, how all the objects that you create are hanging from the ceiling. And there's a picture on your page of someone sitting down on the floor and looking up at all these. It, it looks like just an incredible like thing to behold. I mean, if you ever bring that over here to like the Pennsylvania area, please let me know because I will come in a hot second and check that out. I think it's really, really neat. Um, just the way you have this and the dedication and that you put into it. And I just, I love the way that it was born and the way that you just ran with that inspiration. I think that's something that creators, be it, you know, artists or musicians or, you know, people who do things online, like I do, when you get an inspiration for something, you know, like a brainstorm, I mean, you just have to run with it because it's just, I mean, this is such a neat thing to do and it has such an incredible heartfelt message. And I'm sure that everybody that has sent you something just really appreciates the effort that you put into it. And I definitely encourage everybody to check this out. And um, are, are you planning on doing more like gallery events um, in 2018? 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just beginning to see the schedule come together for um, kind of the 2018 to 2019 school year. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a I have a job that makes it really hard for me to manage exhibitions over the summer. Um, so I'm kind of it's I think I don't think it's going to be exhibited anywhere through the summer months, but um, probably starting up in September or October, it will be traveling again. Um, and I'm still accepting objects. So if anyone is listening right now and is like, oh, that would be me and I'm interested. um you can hop on the website or the Facebook or whatever and find out it's um, there's no deadline to participate. So you can take as much time as you need. Um, but it continues to grow over time. So one of the really beautiful things that happens is each time that it's been exhibited, like new people have added their objects in. Um, and so it becomes this kind of um, collection of people whose stories continue to grow and change over time. I love it. I think it's incredible. I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. Um, Before we uh, go here and give you a chance to share with everybody how they can submit their, um, you know, their artwork and get in, get in contact with you, maybe share a little bit yet about, you know, what, what this healing journey has meant and how doing this artwork has inspired you. And just, you know, some last thoughts for anybody who's struggling right now, who's been in the situation that you are and is looking for hope, looking for something to cling to. And maybe maybe they can use you as an inspiration to for, for someone who's been in such a traumatic relationship and had so many struggles with the church and with family members and friends, and you found a way to get out of it, and you got a support system, and you took that traumatic experience, and you did something with it, and you're doing so much good for so many people. So if you could share something like that, I think it would be a great way to end the show. It's really tough, and it's hard to sugarcoat the hard work that that journey represents. I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that there's like a nice happy ending with a bow on top. Cause if there is, I haven't gotten there yet. Um, <laughs> Me neither. So <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I, uh, I went to a friend's wedding yesterday and I like legitimately could not be any happier for him. And at the same time, there's something about marriage that still is like, oh, I'm I'm kind of sad today. And I'm having to process a lot of that and just kind of figure out what all of that means. Um, and I, I think some of this will be with me for the rest of my life. Um, it doesn't it doesn't ever go away as far as I can tell. But there are also things that give me hope. And I am somebody, I do not believe that despair is an option. I just, I don't leave that open for myself, even in in the darkest times. And so a couple of things that have been giving me hope recently, uh, my most recent exhibition um, with Mere Objects was at Calvin College in Grand Rapids. And one of the really cool things I got to do there was to interact with a lot of college students and one of the best things I got to see there was a lot of young men talking openly about sexual violence, some of them what they had experienced, but also talking openly about this as their problem and something that they want to solve. And that's, um, I'm in my mid thirties. That's not something that men of my generation talk about very much. Um, And it is so encouraging to me to see people in their early twenties, just having a different 
um, relationship to that. And um, particularly young men, I'm so impressed with that generation and the leadership that I see there. That gives me hope. I think seeing some powerful predators taken down in our legal system gives me hope that maybe things are changing. So I, I do think there's some there's some glimmers of hope there. And then I think just individually, as hard as it is for any of us to claw our way up out of trauma, whatever that looks like in a particular life, to know that the work that you do and the way that you invest in yourself and showing up again and again and again, even when it's really hard and even when you don't feel like that work is making a difference, that over time it does make a difference. And you can get to a point where maybe you don't cry every day, maybe you cry every other day, or maybe you cry every third day, or maybe you cry once a week. That's pretty great. Or maybe you feel more emotionally stable. Or maybe you feel more happy more often. Or maybe you can open up and share your story with one person, even if it's really scary. And then you feel a little bit less alone. I think all of those things, even though they don't seem huge, can be really huge steps. And that's where change starts to happen. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree yeah. more. And what you said um, about, um, you know, you can't, you can't sugarcoat it. And you're right. I mean, it's a struggle. Being a trauma survivor is a struggle going through a traumatic relationship, being an, an abuse survivor, whatever it is, there's no putting like a positive spin on that. I mean, it sucks and it's mm -hmm. terrible. Right. And I mean, you know, it's not something that anybody would wish on anybody else. It's not something that anybody should have to go through. But the thing is, is, you know, we find a way to claw our way through it, to pick ourselves up, to keep going, to most importantly, not give up. And when you're in a position to start to try and heal, take those little baby steps, embrace whatever you can that helps you feel better get any kind of support system that you can use your talents and your skills, you know, as you're using your artwork, do whatever you can to, to help your own healing journey, but also help inspire others. And I think that's really just um, such an amazing thing is uh, really just take the time to understand that this is a journey. There is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's not like, well, if I do A, B, and C, I'm going to heal, and then everything's going to be great in, in a year or you know whatever, and then it's all hunky-dory, and then you forget about everything. Like It, it just doesn't work like that. And I, I really believe, and you know, just to piggyback on what you said, that healing, it's a lifelong journey, and some things will never fully leave, but it's the way that you're able to be resilient and get through daily life and handle struggles and flashbacks and memories in a more positive, healthy way. So, you, you know, as you said, you're not crying as often. You're not as sad as often. When you get triggered, you're not taken down as often. You know, it's, it's those little steps that build over time that really give you the power to keep going. So I think it's a great way to end it. And I think you said it perfectly. There's one more thing I want to add. Um, and that is... I was I was raped for the first time in my early 20s and I have no idea who I would be today if I hadn't experienced that if I hadn't experienced that abusive relationship I can't fathom how my life would have turned out differently and there was a long time when I thought that I just wanted to go back to the person that I was before that happened but I don't want that anymore 
because I've realized that I really genuinely like the person that I am now better than I liked the person that I was before that happened. The compassion, the depth of character, the resilience that I've discovered through this incredibly hard journey that I never would have chosen and that I would happily surrender (laughs) and give up if I could has shown me a side of myself that I really love and cherish. And I'm really grateful for that, even if I'm not grateful for the struggle that brought me to this point. I just got chills. Like <laughs> That was incredible. I mean, just the way you said it was, was, was just such, I mean, it shows how, I mean, just, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to put it into words for me too, because I'm thinking, how do I say this? But I mean, that's an incredible way to, to embrace something so traumatic, but to be able to, to sit here today and say that you love the person you are now more than the way that you wanted to go back to before and all of the compassion and the resiliency that you have now, like that is a message and an inspiration for all of us to take to heart. So thank you for sharing that. I love it. Yeah. It's taken a long time to get to that point, but, uh, lots to be grateful for. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Sarah Jane, this has been incredible. It's been an an amazing podcast. I'm so grateful that you were able to come on here and share some about your story and your resiliency and your artwork. And I want to end here with just letting you some time to share about where where people can find you, uh, the, the website, the Facebook page, how they can send you some contributions for the mirror objects. Um art that you're doing, just anything else that you want to share in terms of how people can find you online would be great. Absolutely. Um, So you, I think, already mentioned um, the project website, which is mirrorobjects.org. I think the most active social media account is on Facebook. If you search for Mirror Objects, you will find that. Um, I also have uh, both an Instagram account and a Twitter account. Although I will be super honest that it works. So you'll have to be really patient if you follow me on Twitter. (laughs) Um, But I post lots of pictures on Instagram and sometimes some like funny behind the scenes stuff process works. So um, any of those accounts should have information about how you can participate in the world. If you've experienced sexual violence and this sounds interesting, uh, participate in the project. That's amazing. Thank you again so much, Sarah Jane. This has been awesome. I encourage everybody to check out mirrorobjects.org. Find her on social media. If you're someone who would like to contribute to the Mirror Objects art, please let her know. And um, definitely stay tuned to the website uh, because if she comes to your area, I would definitely encourage you to check out that uh, exhibit because I'm going to um, as well. So Sarah Jane, this has been awesome. Thank you again, my friend. And I'm honored to have you here on Beyond Your Past. Thanks. It has been a pleasure, Matt. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional medical help or mental health counseling. If you've ever considered working with a certified coach, or if you simply have questions about how working with a coach can benefit you, just head on over to beyondyourpast.com for more information and to schedule your free introductory session. We'll work together to figure out what's holding you back so that you can realize your full potential and discover the authentic you. Remember, you are worth it. 
Achieving your goals and waking up each day knowing that you can handle what's coming and thrive is something that everyone deserves. So take that first step and contact me today and let's do this. Talk to you soon.